This is the last in our series of words about Christian character. We're going to start a new series next week uh, as we wrap up, get to the end of the year in our uh, series of words. We're discussing peace last as we think about Christian character because it is the thing that results from the previous words that we have talked about. Uh, as we think about some of the things we've talked about, we've talked about self-control, humility, mercy, and forgiveness. And these are all actions and attitudes and thoughts and feelings, all the things that are going into these things that contribute to peace. And as we think about peace, we're going to really focus on three things today. Number one, of course, we have peace between us and God, which is the most important peace. But then we also see, of course, peace between us and others, and then peace in ourselves, internal peace. And it's important to note as we think about peace this morning that the primary peace described in the New Testament is not the absence of struggle. When we think about peace, when we think about sort of the worldly conception of peace, the way I think we, we most typically think about peace uh, is, is in two areas. One is the opposite of war, right? War versus peace. You have struggle between nations or peace between nations. Uh, and then we have this idea of peace in our relationships, right? This sort of uh, inner peace that we have, even though bad things are going on in our lives. And we think about this idea of peace in the New Testament it is not the opposite of conflict. That's an important thing to understand. Peace is something that we have even when there's difficulty. Jesus' promise of peace, of course, we read in John 14 through 16. Now, he's, he's talking, of course, primarily to the apostles in these chapters. But it's important to understand as he's, he's making this promise of what's going to be after I leave? How is it going to be after I'm gone? You guys are going to be setting the stage. The apostles are going to be setting the stage for what's going to happen for the rest of history, establishing the church, establishing what needs to go on. And what sort of peace does Jesus promise? 1427. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Verse uh, 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And then 1633, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, but what? In the world, you will, not may, you might, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. As we think about the peace that Jesus promises to the apostles, which then they turn around and promise to us, it is not a peace that is absence from suffering and struggle and difficulty and conflict. We would even say conflict. This peace is not the opposite of conflict in our lives. It is something that we maintain while we are in the midst of difficulty. And I really want to emphasize this in John 15, 20. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That is true of the apostles who he's specifically talking to here. Yet we have not suddenly transcended. Now I'm better than Jesus. I'm not going to face persecution. If they persecuted Jesus you can be assured that they will persecute those who keep his word. So what is the peace that Jesus promises? If it's not the absence of difficulty, if it's not the absence of strife, if it's not the absence of conflict, what is it? How do we acquire it? And again, we come back to these three ideas. Peace between us and God, peace between us and other people, and peace in ourselves. And of course, the first one must be peace between us and God, which is the source of all other kinds of spiritual peace. If I have peace between me and God, then even if I have conflict in this life, I have tribulation in this life, who cares? 
because I have the most important piece. Romans 5, 1 through 5, and then skipping to verse 10. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. All great things. It sounds so wonderful. Hooray for us. But then he adds this idea, right? Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. For if we all we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And you can see the, the thing that the, the, the sequence of events here. He begins with the discussion of peace. We have peace with God, but then what? We rejoice in our suffering. Why? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. That can only happen because of the peace we have with God. I have peace because I have hope. The thing that allows me to endure suffering is that I have hope. And I have hope. Why? Because I have peace. Peace between us and God. We were reconciled to him. This, of course, is our ultimate need. We make ourselves enemies of God through sin. When we sin, we mess up, we make mistakes, all of that, whatever you want to put in there. The end result of that is we are his enemy. And we think about the story of Luke 14, the idea of counting the cost. And he gives this story, right, of if you're going to be a disciple, what do you need to do? Measure the cost first. And this example of this, this guy who's going to go to war and he needs to make sure what? Do I have enough soldiers? He's going to go to war. He sees the other army. They have a factor of 10 more soldiers than he is. 10 times as many soldiers. I can't, I can't win this battle. So what does he do? He sues for peace. I don't want to go to battle. Tell me your terms. Because if we go to war, I'm going to lose. That's us and God, right? We're his enemies. And we cannot possibly hope to defeat him in battle. There's nothing I can do to make him give me peace. He is the superior force in every way, shape, and form. We have no ability to force peace in this situation. And so what? In his love, the that while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God. In his love, he did the work to create peace. And as he does so, again, what? He has the right to impose conditions on that peace because of the incredible power imbalance in the situation. I'm his enemy, totally at his mercy. He can do with me what he wants. He has decided in his mercy to... Give me an avenue of peace if I'm willing to accept his terms. If I humbly submit to his will, if I have self-control, if I am merciful, if I forgive as he forgives. These are the words that we've talked about previously in this series, right? These all lead to peace. Ultimately, I have to have these attitudes, humility, self-control, mercy, and forgiveness, because they are some of the conditions that God has imposed on my peace with him. Ultimately, this leads us then to peace with other people. Ephesians 2, 12 through 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now there's a dual layer here going on. He's talking, of course, about the Jews and the Gentiles. 
Gentiles, those who were a part of God's people in the Old Testament, who were exclusive, did not like the Gentiles, did not like the people who weren't Jews, who then in the New Testament, there's this paradigm shift. What's the paradigm shift? Those who were once far off, the Gentiles, who did not have a relationship with God in the Old Testament, they have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And there's ultimately that first element of peace with God, the Gentiles who were formerly enemies. We think about the Canaanites, we think about the Egyptians, we think about the Babylonians, all throughout the Old Testament, the nations that were enemies of God who, through the sacrifice of Christ, of what? Have been brought near to God. But what was one of the things that, that accomplished? Now there's peace between two groups of people who has made us both one. Who's that? Well, it's the Jews and the Gentiles. There's peace not just between God and people, but between various groups of people. Why? Because the blood of Christ is the great equalizer. It is the great unifying factor. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. But not just between, of course, other Christians, us and those who have accepted Christ, but there's an element of peace between us and those who do not know God. Romans 12, 14 through 18. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Submission to his will. Humility, self-control, mercy, forgiveness gives us the mechanism by which we will have peace not just with God and not just with other Christians, but potentially peace with anyone. If what? If I'm willing to bless those who persecute, if I'm living in harmony, if I'm feeling empathy for others, if I'm not being arrogant, right? I'm associating with the lowly. If I'm never wise in my own sight, if I'm leaving wrath to God, if I'm doing those things, not only can I have peace with the other Christians, but peace with those who are still enemies with God. Because there are ultimately only two categories of people, fellow Christians and us. And as we've said, I should have peace with you guys. In this room, it should be the easiest it ever is to have peace with you. Because we have this central unifying thing, right? We all, supposedly, all, are humbly submitting to the will of Christ. We know the love of Jesus. We know what he's done for us. We know we are all on equal footing as lost sinners who need the grace of Jesus, which should really diminish the difficulties that I have with you. It should diminish our differences. It should lessen the importance of our conflicts. Because I know that I needed the forgiveness of Jesus. And you know it too. And so, yeah, I can forgive you. Yeah, I can make things right with you. Yeah, I can live in harmony with you. Because we're all on equal footing through submission to his will. But by being controlled, merciful, and forgiving, we can foster peace with those who don't know God. Again, we think about those words we've already listed. Humility, self-control, mercy, and forgiveness. These are the attitudes that if we put them into practice in our lives will allow us to have peace with other people. Which is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. Not peace seekers, but those who work to make peace. That should be what we are. We're not just sitting back and hoping that it happens, but we are doing what is necessary to foster peace. They shall be called sons of God. Why? All the, you've got these different pairings, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the whatever. 
Why does he pair peacemakers with being called sons of God? Because isn't that what Jesus did? The Son of God came to earth to make peace. We just read it. Making peace by the blood of his cross. He has reconciled us to God. Only by following in his footsteps and doing what we can to make peace can we rightfully be called sons of God. Blessed are those then who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, we want to reiterate this. The peace of God is not the absence of struggle. It is something that we have in struggle. The promised peace of God does not exclude difficulty. It transcends difficulty. Why? Because ultimately what we're being offered here is a peace that goes beyond the physical world. And so we come to the third point then. Peace in ourselves. We have difficulty with others, right? Insofar as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I can't control you, unfortunately. Or maybe fortunately. You probably don't want to be controlled by me. I can't make you want peace. I can only control who? Myself. I can only control what I do. And as I think about the suffering of life, what? The peace that I have with God should allow me to have peace in myself no matter what's going on around me. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, this was our reading, right? Rejoice. How do I have peace in myself even when times are bad? Well, number one, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Why am I rejoicing in the Lord? Because I've been forgiven. Because I have hope. Because I have this eternal promise. And that doesn't change no matter what's going on in my life. So number one, rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What is that? Now, some versions have let your gentleness be known to all. Uh, Some versions have different things there. But this idea of what? What is it that he said in Romans 12? Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, insofar as it depends on you. Uh, Live at peace with all. Never avenge yourselves. You should be the kind of person that people understand. He's not vindictive. He's not petty. He's not selfish. He's a reasonable person. Because why? Because I submit to God's will. Do not be anxious about anything. Do we have causes for anxiety in our lives? Yeah. Disease. Uh, work problems, maybe you get fired, you have money problems, you have, you have injuries, you have relational issues, all sorts of stuff that goes on in our life. There's anxiety there, but what? Don't be anxious. Why? Because you're in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. You want to have peace in yourself? Build your prayer life. Pray more. One of the easiest things, if you're thinking, I don't have peace in my life, nine times out of ten, you're not praying very much. You're not. You're not letting everything be made known to God. You're not having prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. The end result of this, I'm rejoicing the Lord always because I'm focused on my eternal hope. I'm, I'm thinking about my relationships with other people and letting other people, I'm letting go of my struggles with other people. I'm giving everything to God in prayer. What's the result? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what's happening in my life. I have peace because I know that I have peace with my Creator. And I know that I have hope in eternity. And so as we think about this peace, Colossians 3, 12 through 16, what should this look like? Put on then as God's chosen ones. And you'll see the words that we've read already in this series. This is the summation, right? 
on then as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has complained against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. You forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. As we conclude and think about this idea of peace in ourselves. We know everybody wants peace, right? Yeah, that's right, they do. In our relationships, in our struggles, in our daily being. True, lasting peace. And it's sort of the cliched thing you think about. There's all sorts of, ah, I don't want to get into that. The cliched thing. We have the thing that everybody wants. We figure it out. But it requires letting go, doesn't it? Letting go of being in control. Isn't that what self-control is? It's really not self-control, it's God control. That I'm letting God dictate my life, right? I'm letting God dictate what I do. That's self-control. I'm letting go of being the master of my own destiny. I'm not in charge. That's humility, right? Isn't that what that is? That I'm, I'm humbly accepting that God is the master of my life. He is the one that's in charge. If I'm letting go of having my way in dealings with other people. Oh boy. Forgiveness and mercy. Isn't that what that is? I don't have to be right. I don't have to have vengeance. I don't have to have justice. Things don't have to go my way all the time. If I can let go of that, then I can have peace. If I let go of having to be the one that solves all the problems. Because it's not about me. Who's it about? It's about God, right? It's about him and his power, his control, his ability in my life. I don't have to be the one that solves all the problems. Be anxious about nothing but what? By everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. I'm going to let him be the one in charge. When our peace is centered on God and his truth, we can have peace. Because many do teach a false peace, right? Jeremiah 6.13, from the least of them to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. What are they saying? You can have peace if you just have more stuff. If you get more money. If you're more successful, that's going to give you peace, isn't it? They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. What were the people of Israel doing? They were looking around. They were saying, ah, everything's great. But they were ignoring the suffering of others. Ignore. They were not having compassion. They weren't having mercy. They were like, ah, everything's great for us. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Why? Because their peace was centered in selfishness. What they wanted. And their thought was, if I can have my way, I can have peace. But at the same time, what? Their abominations, the sins that they were committing, they were not ashamed of those things. When we live outside of God's truth, we should not expect peace. Because only in God do we have peace. 2 Peter 3, 13 through 15, according to the promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. What? In believing. So that in the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope.
What are these emphasizing? As we conclude, we make a simple conclusion. True peace can only come from the hope of eternity that God offers. And it is not a hope for now. Now, there are benefits, of course, in the now. But we've read a bunch of verses. What? Expect tribulation, expect suffering, expect persecution. The promise of hope is for eternity, for something beyond what we experience now, the peace that we have, even if you're going through a difficult time. And I know that there are many people in this room who are, who are going through really horrid, horrendous difficulties. And my encouragement is to hold on to the hope of eternity. The promise that comes for those who believe in Jesus.